Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I own it, I did that Not proud, but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From the power of weakness Head on me Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy, author and blogger over at Unpickled, where I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there and hold space for your stories here. And today on the show, I'm very excited to introduce you to Gail McDonald. Now, Gail created Sober Bliss as a hub of recovery information and encouragement for moms who want to change their relationship with alcohol. And Gail joins me today from her home in Spain. Gail, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to chat with you. Uh, We were messaging this morning. I know it's evening now where you are, I believe, and it's afternoon here, and I'm in the mountains in Canada, and you are in Spain, and this is just amazing that uh, we managed to connect. It's so great. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. (laughs) Well, before I ask you to share your story, tell me a little bit about where it is that you live and what your life is like there. Okay. Um, Well, as you said, I live in Spain. I live in the south of Spain in a tiny little village, which is quite high up in the mountains. I think we're about a thousand meters above sea level here. So we're inland. Um, And there's lots of, you know, mountains and woodland around. It's very rural. It's a farming area. So, that you know, there's lots of sheep and pigs and goats and things as well. Um, And the village is small. I think there's only around about maybe 1,100 people who live here all year round. Um, But in summertime, we have a big month-long ferrier And the village kind of quadruples in size. So it's an area of extremes, really. It's, you know, up to 45 degrees in the summer. We can get minus 10 in the winter. Um, The village can go from dead and quiet one day to, you know, packed the next. And sometimes it feels like we're stuck in the 1950s. But it's nice. It's a good, safe environment for my kids. Um, and we've been here about 15 years now. So I kind of feel like it's it's my home now. It, it sounds just absolutely beautiful. I saw some pictures on your Instagram and on your website. So mm-hmm. I was 
poking my nose into your life a little bit. <laughs> and uh, so from our respective corners of the world, I guess we're waving hello to our listeners in, across Canada. And uh, most are in the United States. We have listeners in Australia and uh, in Europe. And so hello to everyone from uh, our respective places on the globe. I really love that our community is truly a global community that um, wherever yeah. we are, we, ha- we have so much in common. We're going to hear your story. And I know that the beautiful place that you live, as beautiful mm-hmm. as it is, also that change brought uh, a change into your relationship with alcohol. So I'm going to have you tell us your story. We'll get to know you a little bit and then we'll hear about what your life is like today. Okay. Yeah, you're you're right. Um, in terms of my kind of relationship with alcohol, I think I was probably a late starter. You know, I wasn't a rebellious teenager. Um, I was quite, you know, a good student. I threw myself into my studies, went to university, um, and I didn't really drink because always at the back of my mind, I had this kind of feeling that I needed to be able to get home safely. And I needed to feel that everybody around me was home in bed safe. So I didn't like that loss of control that drinking, um, that drinking gave me. So it was something that, you know, I wasn't really bothered about. Um, I was quite happy to concentrate on my studies. And it wasn't until... I bought my first house with my husband, who uh, I think I was about 20. We bought our first house together, and it was just kind of a grown-up thing, you know, to have a wine rack in the kitchen, and when we went shopping, we'd be all sophisticated and put some wine in the basket. And But it wasn't a big part of our lives. We maybe had a, a drink at the weekend, but it wasn't a major factor. We, we liked to drink together. We used to drink to unwind and relax, but it wasn't really a big thing. Occasionally we'd get together with neighbours and have a party, but it was, you know, once in a blue moon. Um, and then I had my, my eldest son. And shortly after that, I think he was about two, when we decided to move to Spain, because where we lived in the UK, it wasn't a great area. It was quite rough. You know, there were stolen cars. A police helicopter would be up at night. And we just thought, you know, there's got to be something better than this for our son. And uh, at the time, I was a Spanish teacher. So it made sense to come to Spain. And we looked around and we fell in love with the area where we are now. And also we fell in love with um, the cave houses because in Andalusia there are a lot of cave houses and they literally are houses, you know, dug out from the rock, from the mountains. And the first time we stayed in one, it was like, oh, my God, this is just amazing. You have the best night's sleep ever. You feel safe and secure. It's cozy in the winter, cool in the summer. And we just loved it. And that was it, really. We kind of packed our bags, sold up and and arrived and began to build our new life together. And the Spanish drinking culture is quite big. It's a very social activity. 
and we would finish our working day and go down to the village, sit at the bar to practice our Spanish, as you do with a few beers. And it was all very, you know, good and social and fun. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of fiestas and ferries here. There's the whole tapas culture where at midday people go out for a drink and a tapas before they have their lunch. Lunches are long and last two hours and there's always wine or beer. Um, and then after work in the evening, everybody goes out again and has tapas. But it's kind of more social and in bars, not the kind of drinking that we ended up doing, which was at home. And I suppose the, the being involved in this social kind of living and everything and just be being around all the time, that kind of followed us home from the bars. And we began to buy um, crates of beer and just keep them at home. But again, in the beginning, it wasn't, you know, too bad. We would have a few beers at the end of the working day, not every day. Uh, at the weekend, we might have a few more, but it wasn't really a problem. You know, we were enjoying our life in Spain and the sun and being sociable and everything was good. Um, and then about, it was about 10 years ago, I got pregnant and I had my second son and alcohol was just kind of in the background. Obviously when I was pregnant, I didn't drink at all. When my son was born, I was breastfeeding, so I didn't drink at all. And then he got about maybe one and I started to want to get back to me again, if you like. And I started drinking um, beer and the odd glass of wine at the weekend. And it was just nice to feel like an adult again and not, you know, a mom who was feeding all the time. And I kind of settled back into drinking socially and using it to relax. And it, it wasn't an issue. And then maybe about when he was about five, it was quite a difficult time um, because, as I said, we lived in this cave and there were nobody, there wasn't anybody around really all year round. We could go for months and maybe see two or three people in our little part of the village. So it was quite lonely and isolating. And to be honest, in the winter, there wasn't that much to do. So what turned from social drinking to enjoying a few glasses of wine or beers at the weekend. Um, I started to drink every day, basically, um, because I was bored, lonely. Um, my husband was always working on the computer and I was, you know, I was alone trying to bring up these two boys there were no mums around me and I just didn't have anybody to talk to and the days were long and I just felt that I needed an escape really uh, maybe some company and drinking 
unfortunately, um, became my friend, I suppose. And it went on like that for quite a while, about five years. And it just got worse and worse. We did meet some more expats who lived quite close to us. One couple didn't have any kids. So, you know, it was like party time all the time with them. They would come round and it was like, well, you know, I can relax, put my kids to bed and just let loose. And often it would go on till three, four, five in the morning. And it was just awful the next day waking up because sometimes we would start drinking early in the day with them and by, you know, usual kids' bedtime. I would be drunk. Sometimes I wouldn't even realise that the kids had gone to bed. Sometimes I wouldn't even remember giving them their tea. And this is something that I'm dealing with, uh, and it's the guilt of my past drinking. I definitely... um, put my kids first, sorry, put my drinking first instead of my kids Um, because it's all I focused on and I really feel so bad about that now because all I ever wanted in the world, you know, were my two boys to be healthy and happy. But here I was not wanting to be with them, wanting to escape from them, wanting to be me again and be by myself and the only way I could do that I found was through drinking and that took over and it's quite hard to think back I mean it wasn't every single day but there were you know more more days than not in the week when I would rush bedtime or I wouldn't read them a story or I would pack them off to bed so that I could be by myself. Uh, I would get annoyed with them for wanting to be with me. And then I would just feel so guilty about that. I would sometimes, you know, as I've said, get so drunk that I would pass out or fall asleep. Sometimes I remember my youngest son coming and putting me to bed, making sure I was all right because I was too drunk to be the mum for him. And that's quite painful thinking back because, you know, he was only being little, maybe five or six. My eldest son would have been about 11 or 12. And he just kind of kept out the way because he was older and I think he kind of understood that it's best to stay out of mum's way when she gets like this. But the little one, I suppose he wanted to look after me. So he would make sure I was all right and put me to bed. And the worst of it was that my husband and I, we drank together. And sometimes it was fine. Sometimes it would all be very lovely and jolly and we'd have good conversation and a bit of a laugh. But towards the end of our drinking, more often than not, um, there would be arguments, like really awful arguments. We would say hurtful things to each other. I remember once my husband telling me um, that I was the worst mom in the world and that really hurt. And I remember it was because 
I was doing my thing where I would put my headphones on, listen to music, want to block everything out. The kids would be left in front of the TV, you know. It was bedtime or tea time or bath time, I can't quite remember. And I wasn't there for them. I was just in my own little world. And he told me that I was the worst mum in the world. And I just felt so awful about that. Um, and in a way, I think at the time he was he was probably right. Um, and it was it was just a bit chaotic in general. We had very little rules, um, no boundaries really. Although I did try, I wanted my kids to, you know, be well presented for school. So I would make myself get up early in the morning, even though I felt just awful. And I would make them their breakfast. Often it was a rush, but I wanted to get them, you know, ready for school with their, their packed lunch and as if everything was fine. But really, it was just such a struggle most days. Uh, often when they went to school, I would have to go back to bed. Sometimes um, they would go to school late because I couldn't get up on time. And then it was just kind of a life of extremes and chaos. One minute everything would be fine and the next minute I would shout at them for no reason. I would let them do things one day and I wouldn't let them do the same thing the next because I couldn't remember letting them do it the day before because I was drunk. I wouldn't be able to take them to after school club or anything in the afternoons because we lived about seven kilometers from the main village. So obviously I couldn't drive anywhere in the afternoon. And my drinking would start at around half past two, three o'clock when we got back from school. So if there was anything on, then they wouldn't go to it because my husband and I would both be drinking. So there was no way that we would get in the car. But if it was something that they really wanted to do, or if there was a school trip and they were back late and we had to pick them up and we couldn't drink, then we would feel quite resentful about that. And um, it sounds so bad saying it now, but my kids kind of got in the way of my drinking. Um, and I do feel really guilty about that. Um so, you know, as time went on, the arguments got worse and we drank more and more. We spent most of our money, I would have said, on alcohol. And it got to the point where if the kids needed something for school or if they needed new clothes or shoes or whatever, it would be like, oh, so, you know, we can't afford that. But yet we would spend, I don't know, 70, 80 euros a week on alcohol. So our priorities were completely the wrong way around. And the arguments, as I said, were getting worse. And one Friday, because Friday, you know, is the, the time when you can drink more because it's the weekend. Um, and we started 
as we normally did, about half two, three o'clock. But this time, this particular Friday, we were drinking wine, red wine, and I'm rubbish at drinking wine. I can't do it at all. But it's all we had, so, you know, it's what we drank. And it was one of those boxes, you know, with a little tap on. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know that box very well. <laughs> so I had no idea how much I was drinking. I just kept, you know, wandering through to the kitchen and topping it up. And Friday night was going well. You know, we'd had dinner together and the music was on. It was all quite relaxed and quite a nice Friday. And then something happened and my husband and I started arguing. I can't remember what about or anything. And it just kind of escalated out of control. We were screaming at each other. There was no physical violence ever, but it was hurtful things all the time. And um, I don't know what happened exactly, but something snapped in me. And I just thought, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can't stay here and listen to this and be trapped like this. So I decided to grab as much as I could, including my laptop and my passport. Um, And I thought, right, okay, that's it. I'm leaving. And I got in the car, ready to go. I've got no idea where, because I was so drunk that I couldn't even see, let alone drive. And then I could hear my youngest son start crying And he'd come with me and got in the car with me. And he started crying because he was in his pyjamas. He didn't have any clothes. He didn't have his teddy bear. He just wanted to be with me, even though we had no idea what was going on or what I was going to do. And just hearing him cry just brought me back down to earth, you know, with a massive thump. And I just thought, oh, God, Gail, come on, what are you doing? Thankfully, I didn't actually drive anywhere. I had started the car, but as soon as I heard him crying, I turned off the engine and um, just sat, really, for a few minutes because I just couldn't believe how out of control it had got. And also in that split second as well, I was prepared to drive with my son being absolutely drunk, which is something that I would never, ever have thought that I could do, ever. But it nearly happened. Um, Thankfully, I'm so thankful that it didn't. Um, So I came back home um, in the house and got my son to bed, made sure he was safe and happy and in bed, settled. And then I had more wine. My husband wasn't speaking to me. He went to bed and I just had to go and lie on the bathroom floor because I just had these strong feelings of shame and guilt and it was so painful that I had to feel something physical pain as opposed to what I was feeling inside so I went and lay on the freezing cold bathroom floor because I just had to feel something other than you know this emotional pain 
that I was going through. Um, and that probably was my rock bottom moment, although I didn't stop drinking straight away after that. It took another couple of months before I finally did. And um, I was just talking to my husband about it, about the whole kind of being out of control and everything was so chaotic. We were wasting all of our money. Our kids were suffering. Our relationship was suffering. We weren't really doing anything with our lives. Um, You know, all we would look forward to at the weekend or a holiday was just to sit at home and get drunk. And, you know, that was just no way to live. We were missing out on so much and hurting each other and hurting our kids. And we said, you know, this has got to stop. We've got to change. And um, we did. My husband stopped drinking first. And I stopped drinking the day after him because there were still three beers in the fridge. And, of course, I had to finish those. Couldn't leave them there. Um, And that was almost two years ago. It'll be two years in the end of March. And, And we've never looked back. Oh, well, congratulations on your upcoming milestone. Two years is wonderful. And I don't know about you, but when I quit drinking, I could not get two days together. So two weeks seemed like an eternity. And yet as the years go by, they seem to go by pretty quickly. Are you surprised to be at two years now already? Has it gone by quite quickly? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I have to pinch myself, actually, because I can't quite believe it. Um, I don't know where the time's gone. Because I suppose, yeah, like you, we've had attempts before where we've had, you know, let's have Monday to Friday off or let's, you know, not drink for a bit. And I think once we made it to four days and I was like, wow, this is awesome, four days. But then, you know, we went back to it. So looking back... Um, that it was almost two years ago. I can't quite believe it either. The beginning, I have to say, was pretty boring and and it was difficult. Um, I'm really lucky in the fact that my husband was there for me. We were going through it together. But the first few weeks, you know, I don't think we did anything except sit on the sofa, watch TV and eat cake and drink tea um and that was all we did but I'm quite grateful for that time as well because we were as a family together just calm and peaceful and quiet and doing normal things again and it was boring and it was difficult but we had to go through it and uh, the first weekend, I think, was probably the hardest. I think it was a random Tuesday or something when we stopped. So that was okay. But then it got to Saturday. And it wasn't even like Saturday night. It was Saturday and Sunday. Like We had this whole weekend ahead of us. And I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Because we'd never done anything before or in a long time, except drink. 
and I had a bit of a wobble. I didn't know what we were going to do. And I remember my husband saying to me, just think of the morning, think of Sunday morning, no, even Monday morning when you wake up and you, you haven't drank, just think how good you'll feel. Because even after, you know, a couple of nights of not drinking, I would wake up in the mornings and I would feel so much better, better than I'd felt in a long time. And it was important to me to feel that way every day. So my husband saying to me, you know, just think of the morning. Think of how you feel if you don't drink. And also think of how you feel if you do drink. And that's what kind of kept me going and got me through that first weekend. And I remember we just walked the dogs a lot. We had something really nice to eat. And I think we got a film and just had a nice, quiet time at home. But those, definitely those first few weeks seemed to last forever (laughs) and ever. I suspect that your sons uh, love having you fully present and engaged in their lives all the time now. Did you see a difference? Yeah. Did they respond to the change? What was that like? Um, well, it's quite funny because my eldest son didn't seem to notice at first, which I found a bit strange. It was about three months. And he turned around one day and he said, um, oh, there's no beer in the fridge. And his dad, my husband, said, we haven't had a drink for about three months. He's like, oh, I didn't notice. And I think it's because he maybe distanced himself from us, kind of hid in his room a bit and tried to keep out of the way. And also in the beginning, while there were no big arguments, we kind of still did the same thing, kind of sit in front of the TV. So apart from everything being calmer and less arguments, there was no massive change in terms of the activities that we did. But my youngest son, he noticed more or less straight away. I remember coming home from school with him one day, and it was only about, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks. And he said, um, oh, do you know what? It's really good that you and dad don't drink anymore. Everything's so much calmer and there's no arguments. And I was quite shocked that he'd picked up on that so quickly, but grateful that he was enjoying the, the positive change as well. Yeah, that's and, amazing. Yeah. What tools did you use to quit drinking? I mean, it must have been helpful that you and your husband held each other accountable and changed your behavior together. Did you find that um, each of you needed different types of support or were drawn to different types of material or not? Or what did that look like for each of you? Yeah, um, well, I definitely needed to read a lot so I I turned to um, sobriety memoirs quite late I suppose you call it I read quite a few books 
in the beginning um i also read blog posts and i think i found yours pretty early on um because i just wanted to know what it was like for other people how were they getting through the early days how were they coping with cravings what were they doing with their time um how were they feeling you know how did they cope if they went out or if they were stressed i wanted to know all of this information so i just read as many books and blogs as i could and i i quite enjoyed watching films and documentaries about addiction and recovery and everything um but my husband he wasn't really bothered i don't know he's he didn't have any any cravings as such i remember once he said oh i'm struggling a bit tonight i'm just going to take the dogs for a walk so that was kind of his thing um and i joined him as well we did walk the dogs a lot in the beginning and that really helped <laughs> to get off the sofa i suppose to get into the fresh air because we do live in a really beautiful area and we've never seen it or taken it you know seriously so it was good to get outside um so that was his thing really and photography um he started taking lots more photos um but i needed to consume information and read other people's stories about you know how they did it and how they were coping Can you remember some of your favorite books or movies? What were some what are some things that you would recommend to someone else who is embarking on sobriety and looking for ways to feel their time? What books and movies would you recommend? Yeah, the first book I read was um Claire Pooley um Sober Diaries and she was um when I first quit drinking I think she was just coming out as Claire Pooley the writer because she'd been um sober mummy um so I read her blog for first mummy was a secret drinker um and I could relate because she was a mum or she is a mum like me um so that was really interesting to see how she coped with being a parent and dealing with her kids um and it it's a really fun book it's hilarious at times it's so sad at times and i could relate to a lot of that and then i read the unexpected joy of being sober which probably everybody's read katherine gray is the author of the yeah. unexpected joy of being sober i love that book um and movies what movies did i watch um oh 28 days with sandra bullock which might be a bit light-hearted but maybe that's what i needed at the time you know maybe not to take it so seriously in mm-hmm. some ways um because i was worried in the beginning about telling people that i wasn't drinking um because of the whole you know stigma that's attached to it because usually you know when you tell people oh I'm not drinking it's either you know you're pregnant or you're on antibiotics or have you got a problem and I wasn't ready for that I wasn't ready for the whole seriousness of it you know the whole business of recovery and sobriety it it was just me kind of doing my own thing 
So I didn't, maybe I didn't want to admit to it at first. I don't know. So that's why I quite like, you know, 28 days because it was a bit of lighthearted, even though there were serious issues in there. You talked about how at first it was a little boring to be sitting and not drinking. Do you think it was really boring or that it just took time to learn how to re-engage with the world? Yeah, I think a bit of that as well. Um, I mean, to be fair, we didn't do a lot, I suppose, because we were maybe recovering physically um, from drinking and it is exhausting at first. You know, you're tired all the time. Your sleep's kind of all over the place. I was certainly lacking in energy. So perhaps we needed that time to do very little and maybe to look after ourselves again in a way that we hadn't done in a long time. And I suppose, yeah, readjusting and kind of getting to know what we like to do again, taking a step back, I think, was important because everything was so chaotic. And then when we stopped, it was like the whole family, I suppose, just breathed a massive sigh of relief. And we just sat with that quietness and peacefulness for a while. And I think we did need that time to readjust and to get back to ourselves and maybe kind of work out what it is that we wanted to do, what it is that we actually enjoy doing because we'd forgotten you know, we hadn't done anything for so long. It was difficult to remember what we like to do apart from walk the dogs all the time. So tell me now, as your sons get older, do you talk to them about sobriety? You said they, they noticed that you weren't drinking. Do you talk to them about why you're not drinking or do you plan on having a discussion like that as they get older? Do you worry about them drinking? What does that whole area of parenting look like for you? Yeah, uh, we're quite open about it. Um, My youngest son and my eldest son, they remember what it was like before. My eldest son doesn't say that much, but my youngest son, he's 10 now, he's quite vocal and often you know, he'll say things like, oh, remember when we went to such and such a place, you know, when you were still drinking, or remember that day you were drunk and this happened. And so he's, he's quite aware of what used to go on. And now he's very happy that none of those things happen anymore. Um, mm. and, you know, we, we do, we're open about him and with him about you know the what can happen and the dangers of alcohol um he's quite involved with us as a family and in sober bliss uh, he comes along on a lot of the photo shoots with us and he knows what sober bliss is <laughs> um and my eldest son he recently turned 18 which is a big milestone and we actually had our 
my parents-in-law, well, my mother-in-law and her partner, over to Spain for his birthday. And my mother's partner, my mother-in-law's partner, for about six months before they were due to fly out, just kept going on and on and on about taking, well, my eldest son taking him to the pub to buy him a pint. It was a huge focus. And he was more bothered about that than any of us, really, even my eldest son. I mean, he knew that he was 18 and he could drink legally. But to be honest, it wasn't a big deal for him. But my mother-in-law's partner, it was a massive deal for him. So the day came and we all had to go to the pub. And, you know, it was a big show of, right, come on, come to the bar with me, buy me a pint and... And it was just spit over the top. And I said to my son, you know, um, do you really want to go? Because you don't have to. It's, it's your birthday. And he's like, well, yeah, you know, it'll kind of keep him quiet and keep him happy. But I'm not really bothered, to be honest. Um, and I know that he's drunk before and he's been ill with it. I remember he came home once and he'd been throwing up because he'd had too much to drink and he was in bed ill the next day with a hangover so he knows what it's like to go over the top and um and he was like oh god I don't know how you used to do that all the time because I feel absolutely awful and my husband said you know well welcome to the real world but let's not make a habit of it so we are open about how it makes you feel and why it's not a good thing to do. But we're completely open about it. And I know that my eldest son does drink now and again. And I can't tell him not to because he's 18. But if I say to him, you know, I'd prefer it if you didn't or please be careful, then I'm not being a hypocrite like I, I would have been in the past because mm. I'd be drinking. I was I would tell my boys um they're they're all adults now but I would tell them remember you have my crappy genetics <laughs> sorry to tell you there's alcohol <laughs> in the family so uh, I realize yeah. you're an adult and you can make your own decisions but you're you're packing the crappy genes sorry to tell you <laughs> yeah there's, there's no escaping that um, you mentioned sober bliss. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. What is Sober Bliss? And uh, you created it. Tell us what it is and why you put this together. I started Sober Bliss about six months or so after I'd quit drinking because I really enjoyed, as I said, reading all these stories and blogs and books. And I wanted to kind of write my own story and also offer my own advice and support to other moms who were going through what I was going through or thinking about it or wanting to do it and it was a way as well to kind of get some of my feelings and emotions out because after about six months I kind of hit this place where I wasn't quite sure what to do with all of this newfound energy and time uh, also I started to feel really good around about six months and I, 
and I often say this, I felt and I still feel that I've been let into, you know, the most amazing secret. And I just want to share it with everybody because it's not until you're kind of on the other side that you realize what it's all about. Um, because when you're, before you quit drinking or if you're thinking about it, there's a lot of negativity surrounding it. Um, you know, you think it's going to be boring. You think you're going to be judged. You think your life's never going to be the same again. Like you're not going to be who you were. And that is true, but in a brilliant way. And I was just kind of, and I still feel like so excited to have discovered this that I just wanted to share it and help as many other women as possible to get, you know, their own version of this secret that I've discovered. And being a mum as well, I think mums have a different kind of struggle and challenge when it comes to stopping drinking. So I wanted to kind of share my own advice and my own um, situation, my challenges, the good things, the bad things about what it's like to be a mum and not drink. Um, and the name Sober Bliss came up again. It was because of thinking about the mornings. And I remember one morning I was lying in bed and I was just lying there. Everyone else was still asleep and I was just awake but not fully awake and I remembered that I, I wasn't drinking anymore and it was those few moments before you wake fully where you're just lying there and you just feel so good, you know, that feeling when you're still half asleep and everything's possible everything's amazing with the world and it's just that feeling of bliss that you get that's where the name came from because if it wasn't the fact that I was sober then I wouldn't be feeling that bliss um and that's how I feel about sobriety in general I just think it's a wonderful amazing positive thing which I just want to share with the world. And I'm assuming that because you're in a fairly isolated area, you don't have a lot of resources locally. So is this a way for you to connect with other people in recovery and help give service and support your own recovery, even as you're helping others? Yes, definitely. Definitely. You're so right. Um, predominantly, uh, it's a Spanish village there are not that many English people where we live um, and of the English people in the village and surrounding villages um, apart from my good friend they all drink and they all think it's weird that we don't so there's no kind of sober connection there at all the Spanish people um, they do drink, but not like I used to drink. So they find it a bit weird that I don't drink at all. They're like, you know what, not even on Christmas or not even on a ferry night. So they find that a bit weird as well. So apart from my husband and my best friend, there wasn't anybody to talk to. So it wasn't until a 
yeah, about six months when I started Sober Bliss, I started to join other, you know, Facebook groups and check out Instagram and talk to other um, people in recovery because I'd had no experience of that. And there's no personal support where I live either. So it is important to me to have this connection, uh, even though it is online, um, because I can't get that here. And, you know, there's only so much you can say to your husband about certain things. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if he's the one driving you crazy that day, he might not be the best person to mentor. (laughs) I mean, we love them, but goodness. Uh, Gil, tell me about the virtual sober retreat. What is that? Yes, my virtual sober retreat. Well, the thing that I found um, is that we drink often because we have these emotional needs which aren't being met. And one of them is time to ourselves and boundaries and proper self-care and alone time certainly that some of the women that I work with and that I speak to and myself included and especially as mums we kind of soldier on don't we and we put ourselves at the bottom of the list and my reward my me time was being alone with a beer or a glass of wine and shutting the world out but that's obviously not very healthy. And even when I stopped drinking, I still didn't know how to take care of myself properly, look after myself. Um, I didn't know what alone time meant. Um, And I was still kind of, you know, struggling on, soldiering on, getting exhausted, maybe, you know, taking a lot on too much on to keep busy because I was probably a bit scared of not doing anything what would that mean you know would I want to drink so um and I find this a lot women we do still put ourselves to the bottom of the list we do kind of neglect our self-care we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it means. And we feel guilty about it. So I created the sober retreat, the virtual sober retreat, which is a short seven-day online course. Um, and it basically helps you to bring self-care into your life with a small thing that you can do every single day which doesn't take up a lot of time and it just makes you feel good. So simple things like remembering to check in with yourself. One of the the days I think is to set a timer on your phone for three or four times a day. And whenever the timer goes off to make sure, you know, that if you need to sit down, sit down. If you need some fresh air, go for a walk. Do you need to drink some water? Have you had anything to eat? Simple things. Because I found that if we check in with ourselves and look after ourselves regularly throughout the day, then it takes away that need for kind of a big release at the end of the day where, you know, all of the stresses and strains and struggles build up 
over the day. And then when it comes to the end, you just kind of want to scream and shout and you don't know how to deal with it all. So one of the days in the sober retreat is to help you look after yourself throughout the day and not leave it till the last minute. Um, There's also tips on how to create your perfect morning routine, how meditation can help, how visualizing, you know, what you want from your sober lifestyle, what you want to do, how you want to feel, um, and are giving yourself permission to be by yourself, to follow your dreams, to look after yourself without any guilt. You know, I think it's so important that you're reminding women to do that and teaching them how to do that because to me, especially when I was drinking, but I think in general, it was just something I misunderstood over time that by neglecting myself, I thought I was being strong. And you're right, then I would explode inappropriately, you know, if I stub my toe or drop my keys (laughs) and, um, you know, I I would swear a lot just, and my husband would be like, whoa, (laughs) what's Uh going on? (laughs) Yeah. Because there was such a disconnect between the little thing that happened and the big like response that I would have to it. But I really thought, well, you'd swear too if you did what I did all day. But it really was, it was really that pressure buildup of not looking Mm -hmm. after myself. And I associated that with being strong. And just as you're teaching women, I think, you know, you're reminding me that part of recovery for me has learning that that wasn't being strong at all. Being strong is recognizing when something doesn't feel good or doesn't feel right or isn't true to myself and standing up for it in that moment or saying no thank you or um, just choosing or speaking my truth or whatever little thing in the day so that you're right that I'm not ready to blow a gasket by the end of the day I love that you're doing that for women and that you learn that for yourself too that's really brilliant and and not feel guilty about it either because I think this guilt that we carry around um you know we feel guilty if we sit down for five minutes or if we go to bed early and we shouldn't do so you know the retreat helps you to do all of these things that you need to do without feeling guilty about it. Gail, if our listeners would like to find Sober Bliss or reach out and connect with you, how can they do that? I would love it if they did. Um, You can find me on my website, which is soberbliss.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at Sober Bliss. And um, I'm on Twitter and I have Pinterest as well, all at Sober Bliss. And you can find me on YouTube as well, which is Sober Bliss. Sober Bliss everywhere. So, yes, <laughs> spread that bliss uh-huh. around. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been lovely to chat with you. Thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you. I really enjoy talking to you. It's been my pleasure. Listeners, from both Gail and I, from Canada and Spain, to you, wherever you are, I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you learned some new ideas and tools for your toolbox. And I thank you for listening to The Bubble Hour. Until next time, everyone, take good care.
own it I did that Not proud but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From the power Weakness had on me In a dark corner Is where shame You're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side It just stays and wait there To rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on You can shine When you see my old I did that Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Always head on You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear You don't need to whisper to confession every ears person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror and the one who matters most can always hear When you say I old, different Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you miss on When you say I old, different Not proud, but that was me I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Always head on Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.